Folks, it happens sometimes on here in the Cinephile and Hitsy Fit Podcast that we just go a little long. We're passionate. We try to keep a tight timer, but we get some topics every now and then where we want to just keep on talking. This week, while talking about the Mortal Kombat from 1995, we wanted to kind of throw in some bonus content on the Oscars that are happening this weekend. And as we got talking, as we got discussing the nature of the Oscars and the nominees and some of our favorite films of this past year, we kind of went a little long, didn't we, Will? Oh, yeah. Um, Not to mention the fact that uh, we've had so many recording problems that we've been sitting here for roughly 19 hours recording this. Very true. So, folks, uh, dedicated Cinephile Hissy Fit podcast listeners, here is a bonus hour conversation from, I bet it's longer than an hour, bonus hour-long conversation Mm -hmm. of Will and I talking about this weekend's Oscars. Hopefully that's dropping to you first. And if you hear us mentioning Mortal Kombat, it's because it's our next episode coming up. Uh, thanks for listening to this podcast, and here comes a little bit of the Oscars. So let's put 10 minutes maybe on the Oscars here. Yeah, I think what we're going to do, this is you kind of do like, a lightning round of each Best Picture of, nominee here. Yeah, we kind of just wanted to throw this together because we know mm-hmm. this episode is coming out Friday. The Oscars is going to come out Sunday, unless you're listening to this in the future in which nothing matters. Um, but um, I think that... Uh, what I'd like to do, like I said, we kind of strung this together. Yeah. Is let's look at the one, two, three, four, five, six, There's eight, eight, yeah. eight best pictures. Let's just do a quick, um, you know, do you want to love- do a back and forth or do a five and a five. What? No, 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 no five and five. Let's, let's, let's bring up one. Mm-hmm. I'll bring up the ones side of the list in front of me. Okay. We'll go love hate. If we think we need to make a comment on it, we can make Deal. a short comment on it. Um, and then we'll talk so- about the season in general to close. It sounds good to me. Yeah. So, uh, before, actually, let's talk about the season to start. Now, you said okay. that um, this is your first Oscar season where you actually don't care. Right? I do. I, I tell you what, when I first started Every Movie Has a Lesson as a, as a movie writer and blogger here and, and become a critic since, I, I love the Oscars. Like, that that was my... I, I loved all the prognostication. I loved all the, the mock nominees. I love the work of Matt Neglia and next, next best picture show, all the awards watching and pro, pro, prognostication. I even incorporated it into my site. I used to do an awards track every year where I, I kind of did the whole stick with me and you win the Oscar pool kind of thing where I kind of prided myself in having really good awards predictions and all that. Mm-hmm. And this year though, this is the year that broke me. I could care less. And it's not because there's not quality films. There's there's quality films worth honoring. It's the nature of the season and kind of the funk that is 2020 that's ruining it for me. Absolutely. Is obviously there's fewer films. Now, like I said, there's still plenty of quality to celebrate, but it's fewer films and this extended season is kind of ridiculous. As a as a as a critic who's in a couple of uh, recognized awards voting groups, this season still kind of started. Yeah, I know Sorry. you're right. No. That's all right. Someday you'll get there. Um, <laughs> anyway, no. Anyway, this season still started out like the last one. Like we were getting screeners and 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 the four year consideration materials all the way back in November. We had screenings like things were going to close here in December. My own group's voting deadlines were we didn't change a thing. 2020 was 2020. No asterisks. No extended two months. Nothing. And we were done in January with like at least my group in my work with Chicago Indie Critics, our group here in the city. Mm-hmm. And, but after that, now I have to wait 
for like my awards were done January 7th. This is four months later. And because of the drag that was 2020, I predicted this was going to happen. And I feel like I was right when I was talking in some movie circles with my buddies is we're going to be sick and tired of talking about 2020 movies in April. We're going to want to turn the corner and get something different. And I feel like we're, we're totally there. We have all these movies that kind of came out in festivals and stuff last fall that are going on six months of, weird VOD, not really theaters, shelf life of minimal, you know, viewership at the same time as we're trying to get back in theaters and kind of love on movies like Mortal Kombat and Godzilla. But like, I don't, I don't care about a Francis McDormand camper movie from November. I just don't. Right. Right. So that the season, and then it, it still has become as much as the season has been overextended and overanalyzed to death because of its length. Each year, and I could say I'll say this again, wearing the snobby critics hat, is it's getting worse with the the I don't want to say patronage. I don't know how to say it, but the but the like it's like in, if this was politics, we'd be talking about campaign finance reform, mm. where the politicking has gotten so rampant and so expensive, which is great because the swag and the fun that comes with it is fun and all that, but. I feel like more and more every year, these Oscars are bought more than they're earned and, or at least the nominations yes. and the favor and all that. And, and the ones that of, win too, aren't right. exactly like ones. I mean, I think someone on Twitter, I, I don't know who had this idea. So if, if mm-hmm. you're out there and you hear this, uh, please give yourself credit. Um, but someone said like, they posted like the last like 12 best picture winners. And mm-hmm. they even were like, do you even remember something? Yeah. You know what I mean? And some of them. And it's even, not that. Yeah. And it's not that they have to be popular, crowd-pleasing movies every time. But right. they, they, like it I said, can't be fucking Green Book, is no. all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's hard because we've seen theatrical windows get shorter where these movies are out four weekends at best. They're on DVD or video three months later or even shorter than that. Mm. And the window of impact that these movies make, even when they're really popular or even when they're really well-regarded is just so short that unless they become, I don't want to say borderline cult hits, but it's going to, it's going to take that, that these movies are just going to get lost. And then when you multiply all that by COVID sending everything out of theaters, because the analogy I made to a buddy today was, it was easier when these these were in theaters because it was one stop shopping. It was a salad bar. Like if you wanted a really nice ingredient, you go down the hall and you watch your best picture nominee. If you just want the ice cream at the salad bar, you walk down and you see the multiplex movie, but you knew where to go and it was one stop shop. Now with the pandemic and with theaters closed, there's great things out there, but they're scattered to the wind. Oh, like absolutely. Netflix has their stuff. Amazon has their stuff. But then you have all the PVOD. There's a little bit of Hulu, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Apple wants to play. And you have now seven grocery stores you have to shop at just to get the groceries you want instead Word. of one-stop shop. So, And that goes for awards contenders too. And I can't name one of these eight films that is the springboard that's like normally you have at least one movie that is – kind of the audience horse like that's the right, not to right. say the crowd pleasing movie but the one that not only has the, the the double the double the double threat you have one movie that has of course critical appeal or wouldn't be there and then some audience appeal like wow yeah people have seen that that's the water cooler movie none of these eight movies have that not a one of them which is a shame yeah no absolutely i Okay, so I will say I agree with you on most of all that. I I will say the one benefit to the extended season was there was a couple of films that I think that would have been forgotten did 
get noticed. Like, um, I remember when I went and saw Birds of Prey in mm-hmm. March of 2020, which was right before the pandemic hit. Yeah. There was a trailer for Promising Young Woman. There you go. And I thought, that looks interesting. And then, of course, pandemic hit, and that thing got lost. And yeah, then it was supposed uh, to come out in April, landed in January. Yeah, it was. Yes. Like, yeah. And then there's a movie that they didn't have to rush out, Judas and the Black Messiah, mm-hmm. that they were able to be like, okay, we have some extra time, so let's go ahead and finish this properly. Like they, they weren't rushing right. it out at awards time. I'm but then it still with- works. The, but then the long season, like, unfortunately, old ass voters, you know, Oscar's so white, right. they don't have any great memory where exactly if you, came, if you came out too early, like, look at The Five Bloods. Like a lot yes. of some of that movie gets passed over because it was July and in ancient times ago compared to Judas and the Black Messiah, which dropped right conveniently in February. Yeah. And and we'll see this when we do our little lightning round. But yeah, I mean, not to be on the Marvel train, but mm-hmm. I miss when you would have these epic films mm-hmm. that were also worthy of best picture. Like I'm thinking of Black Panther, for example, like I'm thinking I, of Titanic. Well, Titanic is a big one because Titanic, yeah. like for instance, um, I think this is an interesting stat. I think Avengers Endgame became the first number one all-time box office hit in terms of all-time. I know it's been passed over recently by Avatar again. Yeah. But I think it was the first film that was number one at the box office that did not win an Oscar. Um, that sounds about right. Like Titanic yeah. did avatar did jaws did jaws did star back wars did all yeah. these huge films that, right like, and i kind of miss that time like i go back and i think like if if 19 i don't know if this is true or not but i'm thinking mm-hmm. like if 1999 was today the matrix would be a best picture film i agree i think you know what i mean change or, or or there's room yeah i think but so. then again it's not but happening, then i wonder though. No, because look at these eight nominees this year and they're all yes. micro tiny niche films. Exactly. In a year, in a year where we didn't have a lot of big films, but at the same time, you know, we're coming off of Parasite winning too. Where have yeah. we have the Oscars gotten so? I don't want to say pretentious, but have they gotten so small that they forget that? I think I think they've all, other than the Black Panther anomaly year where you got some play there, they've been downgrading niche and genre, or I should say not niche, but they've been downgrading yes. genre cinema for a very long time. Well, we've and had this don't discussion. Oh, we've yeah. had this discussion before and I've written about it a lot on 25 wild that I think mm-hmm. the genre films are starting to go back into the tank of like, they're considered these artless endeavors. Which and is a shame to be honest with you. I mean, yeah, people are going to say I'm a shill, but if you're talking about cultural impact, you're mm-hmm. talking about truly the best picture of 2018 when mm-hmm. green book won. Oh my gosh. Black Panther. You can debate whether Black Panther is truly like this Mm -hmm. great movie or if it's just a great Marvel movie or however you want to classify it. But we're talking about films used to win Best Picture that used to have that, like, they used to have that uh, footprint Mm -hmm. in society. Yeah. You know what I mean? Forrest Gump, Braveheart, the 90s were full of them. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and we're actually going to have a future episode, um, love hate episode on La La Land, mm. which um, <laughs> we won't go into much here. But what I will yeah. say with La La Land is that that was kind of the heavy favorite to win, and then a very small independent film. La La Land was kind of a big, a yeah, successful. It has a footprint, but it also was successful. It was a box office success, critical mm-hmm. success. People loved it. 
it did lose out to a, a very small independent film. Yeah, deserving um, which one I, too. Which I was, which I was happy about. But um, <laughs> anyways, but let's but let's take a look at the best pictures yeah. that year, real quick. That um, Black Panther was nominated. You had Green Book, which won. A Star Is Born, which was I, I praised. No, I think it's a very good movie. But keep in mind, while everyone's slamming Black Panther for being Best Picture nominee, A Star Is Born is the fourth remake of that film. True. So it's not but, exactly like original yeah. ideas suddenly burst out of the seams for that one. But also, big star, successful movie. It had the box office, had the star power. Yeah, like, absolutely. No, it, yeah. it's a great film. I like, I like A Star Is Born. Don't get me wrong. Uh, Black Klansman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, which was critically slammed, but a huge success. Huge success for sure. Doesn't uh, then, deserve to be there. Then you had Roma. You deserve had be there. Vice yeah. and The Favorite, which is a great film. Okay. Um, so there's, that seems to be the year yeah. when you had that mixture again. Mm-hmm. But I guarantee you, I mean, I'm not going to go through every year, but I just remember that year specifically because it felt like the old days when I would watch the Oscars in the 90s. And mm-hmm. the and even even the early two thousands, we're talking like the Gladiator days and stuff like that. Yeah, it just felt like movies were more representative of the audience. Like, true. I don't think this year, and we'll, we'll do our speed round here just right now. But I just don't think when I look at these films, I think some of them are great. But mm-hmm. I guarantee you, like, I, I get you. What, what, what grade do you teach? I teach K through eight technology, so everybody K through eight technology. Yeah. I guarantee you, you can go to the eighth graders and they haven't seen one of these. Get, completely agree, but I Not guarantee. One. I guarantee maybe Judas and Black Messiah because I work in Chicago and inner city, right? But maybe. I bet you, I bet you, some of my seventh grade students that I teach, they definitely saw Black Panther. They probably saw Bohemian Rhapsody. Mm-hmm. They probably saw either Green Book or A Star Is Born, just because probably one of the, you know one of their you know adults were like, we got to rent this or something. You know what right. I mean? It's there was still a chance that these films could be seen, and you are correct about twenty twenty. I think because studios freaked out and they said, we're not going to release anything until the mm-hmm. pandemic's over. And then they realized the pandemic's going to go on forever that they, then they started releasing stuff. There is this major gap in material. I'd say from March to what would you say? August, September, where there was just nothing. There was nothing coming yeah. out. Right. I think the biggest, the biggest movie that came out like in the summer was like Greyhound. Or, or like tenant which tried well you know. tenant that's a whole yeah. different story because but, tenant, but greyhound yeah. was pretty exclusively an apple tv so unless you exactly go, you couldn't really you go to that it. grocery store yeah but remember at that time when greyhound was coming out i was like oh my god a new movie yeah like they just that like bring they, it they just weren't coming out you know right um all right so without further ado we've talked enough about it um right yeah, let's go the first one on my list is the father uh-huh. Fantastic Anthony Hopkins performance, uh, a stage play made for the big screen, deserves the chances at directing and writing. Is it have a chance for best picture though? I don't think it has a chance at best picture. I do think it's a great film. I do think it's one of the mind you won't think this when you see a trailer, but mm-hmm. it is one of the one of the biggest mind benders of a film uh, you could ever definitely. see. Yeah. Like it's very disorienting. And um, very surprising. Yes, very surprising. I think the performances are excellent. I think Anthony Hopkins gives the best performance of his entire career, and I include mm. um, I include Hannibal Lecter in that. There you go. Um, I don't think it'll win. I think I have a pick for best director, but I think in a right world, 
the director of the father would win because I agree too. I think it is the hardest job to direct. Absolutely. So the with the other directing nominees that, and I know he, all he's doing is directing his own play, but to, to take that from the stage to the screen and play with scene, play with actors, play with sound, play with light, play with space. Yeah. Zellner should have been there. So if we say the father, would you say love, hate, or in the middle? Love very much. So I love it as well. Okay. Second one on my list is Judas and the black Messiah. Love it. You know, also a year where in a different year, this should be a firebrand and seen by more people. I know HBO Max is growing with an audience and there's a good chance this movie has been seen by a good bit of people. Mm -hmm. You got great performances that are probably wrongly nominated. Like they both shouldn't be competing against each other. For best supporting actor, which is with Kalua and Stanfield. They should get equal chances in in two places. But yeah, love it. Uh, I would I don't know. I think it's missing the next level of of impact and sizzle. Like maybe I don't want to keep saying like a Spike Lee film, but it's missing that next umph that would be a slam dunk in this. I agree, and that's where I think the director comes in. He's relatively new. I mean, he's not yeah. new, but he's this is he's relatively new to the subject matter and this mm-hmm. stuff. I think he, uh, my friend Jeffrey on Facebook said that it's a great thriller. It is sure. definitely a great thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it gets its point across. Uh, with True. some of the, with some of the tension and the um, social commentary and things is a question. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm happy to see Ryan Coogler get a, an Oscar nomination because he's the producer right. on the film. Um, I love the film as well. It was the only film I got to see at Sundance, so I got to say I went to Sundance even though I drove two and a half hours up to Tucson or down to Tucson to watch mm-hmm. it at an outdoor theater because there still wasn't indoor theaters. Um, but I really enjoyed it, and I wrote a piece for it on Twenty Five YL. Uh, did, did you touch the Father on Twenty Five YL while we're backtracking? Uh, I did not make it to a review on the Father. No. I don't think anyone did on Twenty Five YL. No, I was able it to do. Came and went, yeah, because I was able to see Judas and the Black Messiah at Sundance. That I was one, yeah. able to get that one early to so check that review out. So we're gonna go love, love, Judas and the Black love, Messiah. love. You bet. What do you okay. got next? In, this one will be an interesting choice. Mank, medium. Okay. Like so, I can't. I I can't say I fully love it. I definitely don't hate it. I can mm-hmm. see why it's it's a little overstuffed for other people. I I I mean I loved everything David Fincher touches, so I was kind of in on it anyway. And being a mm-hmm. film guy who likes the history of all, I was enraptured enough. But I get how this is overstuffed and overlong, and also probably misses making its point too. Yes, I am also in the middle with Mank. Mm-hmm. This is my choice for best director. I think David Ooh. Fincher does. Yeah. He's not going to win it. I'm nope, not saying he's sure going to win it. I'm saying this is my pick for best yeah. director. I think what he does technically in this film is absolutely a mastercraft because I agree there. It's very hard. You can see things like, um, I'm not going to shit on the Coen brothers or anything, but mm-hmm. when you try to make I'll old, the Coen brothers for you, I, I when, when you, when you try to make old Hollywood, like in, um, what was that movie they made? Hail uh, Caesar. Hail Caesar, which is a yeah. terrible film. Sorry for any fans out there. I hate Hail okay. Caesar. But yeah. Um, you can tell when it feels like artifice. Like you can True. tell when it's p- characters playing dress up. Mm-hmm. Mank is so seamless with mm-hmm. like, kind of like how Anna Biller does like the Love Witch and Viva, where you can't tell when it was filmed. Or like Richard Linklater with Dazed and Confused where you can't tell if it was filmed in the seventies or the nineties. I think it is so flawless and seamless with, Oh no. I feel like it was a seamless transition where you can't tell when this film was made. 
Um, there is a mm-hmm. little bit of CGI bleed over. Like there's, I think there's a scene where um, Gary Oldman and Amanda Seyfried are walking through like uh, the uh, uh, Hearst like mansion. And there's a lot of like, mm-hmm. you can kind of tell just with black and white. Sometimes the CGI sticks out a little bit um, like with the zoo that's in the, in the, uh, the mansion and stuff like that. Right. But for the most part, the fact that they were able to mimic real life and real cinema and, and Hollywood history, um, I just found breathtaking. So I, I think he deserves best director for that. But it is kind of sure. a passionless film. Like, I don't feel anything for any yeah. of the characters. I don't feel any triumph with Same here. Mankiewicz, his success. Even at the end, when you find out, like, I didn't know this. Like, when you find out that he won the Oscar for for this uh, and Kane and then he never mm-hmm. did anything else again. <laughs> you know, like I, I, I didn't feel like anything. Yeah. I wasn't like, yeah. Oh, oh what darn. a loss to the community. Right. Know? Right. Right. So I'm going to go, you're going to go middle. I'm going to go middle. Yeah, right. Definitely. Middle, middle. Okay. Um, Minari. Ah, oh, love it. And in a different year, this is that, I think this is that crowd pleasing movie that people are, that people are missing. Like this is the little engine that could movie if more people could see it, because it's such a great little slice of the American dream done in a period wave. That's not too overly period. It's got, you know, enough down South overtones to appease that audience and have some religious layers there, but not be so over your head into it. Mm -hmm. And the immigrant story and wonderful little performances all over the place led of course by Steven Yoon. And this is the movie I wish more people would find. And I love it. I, I wish it would, I, I, maybe it's the, getting a second, a couple of second place votes, like, because it, like, this is the sentimental movie I wish would win. I know it won't because mm-hmm. it's too small compared to the other yeah. sentimental things that other more liberal people love. But yeah, where were you on Minari? I, well, I love it for yeah. one. Um, I don't, now this is, I'm trying to say this as, carefully as possible because i don't want to okay. trigger anybody there's a lot of stuff going on right now with the asian community mm-hmm. um and i think unfortunately and fortunately that's going to play into this yeah. um one we had a south korean film this is not a korean film this is an american film i want to make that very clear minari is an american film very true um because the golden globe said it was a foreign film which oh, it is I not know. Slander, um, man. Totally this is about as American as apple pie. This movie, including the story. Mm-hmm. But, anyways, my whole point is is that you had a South Korean, foreign, Asian film win last year, mm-hmm. which kind of defied the odds. So, I think from a probability, I think from a probability standpoint, that's not going to happen twice yeah. with with Asian with Asian influence. I know, even though it's an American film. I agree. I agree. Second. The one thing that I think will play into its favor is we do both agree that I think the Oscars are very like, quote unquote, woke now, mm-hmm. maybe. Um, and I think we do have a lot of issues right now in this country with um, Asian American hate and a lot of stuff going on with like bullying and uh, violence against Asian Americans. Mm-hmm. So this is where I don't want people to think I'm being insensitive. I just think that with that going on, there is yeah. potential for this to be honored because it would it would look like this is kind of like Green Book in my mind, where it makes white people think they did something good. Um this would be kind of that thing where it's like, look, we love Asian people too. And I they know. would they would win. Yeah. So so that's what I'm look, saying. And it would look better to me in the woke culture 
this would be a knee-jerk overreaction. To it would look better voting for Minari than it would look better voting for No Man Land and a bunch of semi-broke right. white people. Exactly, and um, yet No Man Land's going to win. And it's well, yeah, I think No Man Land's going to win too, and we'll we'll yeah. talk about that in a second. But um, I, I love Minari. I think it's going to win score personally. Ooh, I, think the score I, I don't think you beat Soul here, but yeah, good luck. Ooh, that's right, Soul. Soul, and that's Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, and John. You know, and John, John Batiste. Batiste. So they're going to rake. That's that's a that's a lock Man, of the night because Minari's score is in my head twenty four seven. I love mm-hmm. it. I think it's beautiful. It's a very anyway, good score. So I think we're love love on Minari. We are easily love love. Okay, next one. This the next couple picks are going to be a little uh, trepidatious for me. I think. Ooh, with here we go. Next one's Nomadland. Yeah. See, now I gave it. I gave it a positive review at three stars, but it's just distant to me where I, I'm it's like, man, this is a medium for me. A lot of people mm-hmm. say, oh, beca- a lot of people give me shit for this because I'm not giving it overwhelming praise and a five. Like, how could you where people shit on me all the time? Like, how could you give that movie a bad review? I'm like, guys, I gave it a three out of five. I, I it's a, got mm-hmm. a, it's got a red tomato for me on Rotten Tomatoes. What are you bitching about? It's the same right. people who love Dunkirk, you know, who so much that it's in, a masterpiece. And how could you give oh, it give it anything less than Nolan? How Sorry. could you give it anything less than a five? And I'm getting that crap with No Man Land. Like, guys, it's just very good. It yes. looks great. It's going to win cinematography. It's going to win director for Zhao. It's going to win four awards t- tomorrow and Sunday night. And there are four awards that in in a year like this, maybe it can and should win. I mean, coming from the creative talent that it is with Chloe Zhao. It, it's her time. I, I, it's, but the Oscars have this tendency lately of not spreading the wealth and completely overshowering things in their wokeness. I hate to say wokeness again, but it feels For like sure. that because like even last year with bone Joan Ho, like you can, yeah, give, give him an Oscar in the place you can give him an Oscar. Do you really need to give him four? Do you really need to give Chloe Zhao three? Like, I think there's a better screenplay she- than this one. Which she's I nominated think, for four this year. I know. She's an editor as well. Oh, right. But I but I think there are better editing jobs than hers. I think yes. there are better writing jobs than hers. I think there are better directing jobs than hers. But go ahead. And, but if you need to give her best picture, be my guest. And same sure. thing with Frances McDormand being on here as a producer. She's had her Oscars. I don't think this is anywhere near one of her best performances over in the acting no. category. She's a force. And it's so cool to see her, who's normally a very outspoken firebrand of a person, simmer it down to play this very smaller woman character who still has strength. Like, I admire the tone switch for her but i still every time i watch that movie i still see a movie star pretending to dirty it up and not be a movie star it's still francis mcdormand still three-time oscar winner francis mcdormand or soon to be three-time oscar winner so yeah it's just medium for me i've seen and it's yeah i i i I, it's it's a finely made film but it is not the best movie of the year yes the biggest Mm -hmm. issue with nomadland for me Mm -hmm. is that Chloe Zhao, who's a brilliant director. I think brilliant she's director. She's also cute as a button. I love Of course. Her. She's so cute. Um, yeah, when she, she wins, has, couldn't happen to a better person. With right. you on that. She has won... I'm sorry, she has made virtually the same picture already and mm-hmm. did it better before. With the writer? That's the problem, the writer. Right there with you. And they used all untrained people and not a couple of movie stars with like... Yeah. With David Strathairn and Francis McDormand. Yeah, and I think people are reading into Nomadland a lot deeper than it actually is. I'm oh not saying God. this is a negative. Yes. I'm not because there's two scenes that come out to me. Completely there's completely the, there's, there's the bookend scenes with Amazon, mm-hmm. um, and then there's also a scene which I find kind of ironic as well, where um, 
Francis McDormand's trying to find a movie to watch downtown. Yeah. And every poster is the Avengers. Yeah. And part of me is that some people are reading that and thinking like, look at what's happened to the mm-hmm. world. It's all run by Amazon. You can only yeah. watch superhero movies. And it's not about uh-huh. that at all. It's no. not about that at all. And Trust me, Chloe Zhao is making a Marvel film. The mm-hmm. last thing she's going to do is fucking oh, stick one in the eye of Marvel. Yeah. But I you're think right, people, though. People are. This is the movie of these nine movies here that people are over projecting a thousand things on that aren't there. Yes, and that's the great thing about Chloe Zhao as a director is she um, really gets into the nuance of like being a human and living and like kind of living in these isolated world. Like uh, the Rider and No Man Land are very, when I say they're the same film. Mm-hmm. They're both about niche living situations. You've Very got true. In, the, in the writer, you've got yeah, basically these socioeconomic outward, uncertainty, all that. Yeah. yeah, and you've got this kind of world that you're not really familiar with. I don't know anything about the rodeo mm-hmm. or any of that stuff. Uh, I don't know what it's like to live out on a farmland out in the middle of nowhere. I don't know what it's like to live in a car. You know, to have to like live uh, hand to mouth every right. month and then have these odd jobs. But that's really all it's about, and it's not a criticism. Mm-hmm. But they're very simplistic films in terms of looking at the human experience from a singular yeah. perspective. So to put all this stuff on it about how it's this amazing oh, film about, you know, how the, the American, world is falling apart. Yeah. yeah. No, no, oh. I, I don't buy any of that. Now, the other, the second thing is Francis McDormand. And this is, I'm going to say the same thing about um, Carrie Mulligan in a minute. Ooh, okay. I think Francis McDormand is great. She is on a bad day. She's a better actress than a lot of people. It's so okay? true. Um, okay. I'm going to say this about Mulligan and Carrie Mulligan in a second for this other film, but um, Frances McDormand, great actress. Don't get me wrong. Anything that she's in, she makes better. Uh, on a bad day, she's a better actress than a lot of actors. Whew, you okay? ain't kidding. So here's the thing, and this is the difference between the writer as well as Nomadland. And I and a friend of mine, Brian, mentioned that this might be the point of the film, but it doesn't work for me, regardless if it is the point or not. All right. She's such a. Um, she keeps everybody at arm's length mm-hmm. so that even when you want to sympathize with her character, it's hard to because she's so closed off. That seems to be an acting and directing choice, which I don't agree with. Yeah. I think for a character, I think that's a a con- like- I'm with you. I think that's a conscientious choice they're going for. Cause how many times do we get the, the over sympathetic character that they pour way too much sympathy in that's foreground conclusion stuff. There's some yeah. mystery here to a woman that's going to keep on, with the distance and not be immediately magically healed. Yeah. And I just feel that, um, I can't connect with her. Yeah. If that's the point, that's fine, but you're not going to get me to care. Yeah. Yeah. If that's the case, if I met a person like that, I would be kind of put off by them because not because they live in a van and they shit in a bucket, Mm -hmm. but because they don't have, it's like, they don't have time for me to empathize with them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So like so that I, that small sliver and cross section of America probably doesn't need a movie showing itself off and so who cares? Exactly. So yeah. I I this kind of puts me even though it's a great performance, I don't think mm-hmm. it's one of her best. I agree. I also don't think that it's really I also think and I'll talk about this with Mulligan, a little one note. Okay. Um I'll I'll start to disagree with you on that one. Promising a woman is next, isn't it? Well, this no man land we're, we're middle middle. Middle middle. Middle, middle. Okay, and by the way, uh, you wrote for No Man Land, right? On twenty five. I later? sure did. Okay, so I have a review of Minari. You have a review of No Man Land mm-hmm, up there. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Promising Young Woman is the next film on the yeah. list. And it's my number one movie of 2020. It's the holy Holy monkeys. It is. It is the holy fucking shit movie for me where this mm. is this era's and a, a 20 years later new version of American Psycho for me. Where I think uh, this is a character and a firebrand of a movie that will that I think will last a little bit. Like we're going to go, I know it's been a weird year where there's not a lot of audience for not a lot of things, but the shock value and the, and the wisdom to place the shock value and frame the shock value of how they do it to me makes this movie special. Like this is my slam dunk, no doubt. Number one movie of last year, love to pieces. I think Mulligan to jump on your point before it even comes out of your mouth. I think she gives enough layers here. Uh, Yeah, I know. Here we go. So, no, I think she uh, has the viciousness and the ability to be twisted the way she does and do it in a way as a as a spider trapping her prey. But at the same time, when you when she's away from that and she weighs the consequences of what she's done, I see the next side of the character that is hurt and battered and bruised and and longing to fix longing for what's missing. And mm. that's enough out of Mulligan for me, where I know the sizzle of that part is the, is the acid that you want and is played the hardest. But when she gets that sliver of romance with Bo Burnham's character, and then when she has those moments to herself to break down the losses that she's felt or that character's felt, I see a full and complete performance that I want to win so bad. Best actress over everyone else. Love to pieces for me. Huh. I am middle. Ooh, okay. Promising Young Woman. Um, I know you're not a horror guy. I'm not a horror guy. Um, I've seen a lot of rape revenge movies mm. mm-hmm. and that genre that lets me know where they could go with this material. Okay. So to me, um, this doesn't have the impact that I think it would on a more general audience who's not maybe not saying you're general or you're basic or anything. Okay. I'm just saying that a lot of genre people um, can go into this movie and see more promise, not promising a woman, but they can <laughs> see more promise with where this narrative could go. My, my, my major gripes with this film. One, I think you're not using Carrie Mulligan effectively. Once again, like Francis McDormand, mm-hmm. On her worst day, she's better than almost anybody. Very true. She's a phenomenal actress. She deserves the Oscar win. It might be one of those things, like an Al Pacino thing, where they're going to give it to her when she probably deserved it for something else, in my opinion. Yeah, like this um, is a year where someone's going to say she's too young, even though she's 35 years old. Right. Right. Um, I think that when I say it's a one-note performance, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not shitting on the performance. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is, is it's like... Um, it's like having a Swiss army knife and only using the toothpick. I think that she has so much ability and I think that they only utilize one aspect of, it. I think it's a very one note performance. Is it effective? Yes. Is she very like, is she a firebrand? Like you said, absolutely. Mm-hmm. However, that's my second gripe with them, is that every time it's about to, about to push a boundary, it pulls its punch. Okay. I think that it pulls its punches way too much. There's moments where the character gets on the edge and what would make them truly like gray or dark, they go to the good side too much. And I think a story Mm. like this, she has to be a little bit dark. Okay. I I think that having a hero in this story 
is not good enough, in my opinion, to, to sell this material. Okay, okay. Um, my third point is, and this wasn't my idea, but uh, my friend Shelly mentioned this to me, that she heard this from a, fr- a fellow friend, so I can't quote who did this. But the, the finale, uh, spoilers, mm-hmm. um, for a movie that condemns the system is broken, mm-hmm. she sure as fucking hell believes in that system is going to work after she's dead. Oh, I know. There's that's that's a crazy cockamamie scheme that happens to just go right. <laughs> very true. Very true. Because like, if the system's broken and these promising young women are always going to be forced into the shadows over white men, mm-hmm. the white men are going to keep now, their shadows. Holy, as holy sh- that's the thing. This that's yeah. another pu- that's another punch that was pulled. I hear you. If in this movie she gets killed and he gets away with it, that would have been one of the most devastating, mm-hmm. caustic brutal endings and i would remember this film forever for yeah. that because i would never forgive the screenwriter mm-hmm. for doing something so ballsy yeah but in the end she kind of wins which is great it's cathartic for the character because she's been through so much mm-hmm. but that doesn't I, really separate it as a story for me i gotcha i mean emerald fennel is probably going to win the screenplay the original screenplay yeah. half of this oscar and if that's the spot again to honor and, and this is oscars also you know honoring women and getting those chances out there and and for a woman to direct this movie even with pull punches that you want to say is there i think there's the right touch and right balance where it worked for me but i get you well, this and this is what really hurts me is anyone who knows me knows i'm a champion of female filmmakers mm-hmm. and i hate right now that I'm in the middle on two films directed by great directors. It really makes, it really frustrates me because Mm -hmm. I really want, it just, it sucks because I just, I, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just, it just sucks to, to, to say something bad about these films because they are female directors, major props. They're getting, they're getting nominations as writers, directors, editors. Yeah. Um, And it's lovely. It's, it's, it's it's great to see. I just it makes me feel so bad that I'm finding fault in these two films, which really bums me. Out. But uh, I'm an, I'm a bastard. What can I say? <laughs> All right, hit, All right, so, hit the next one. So your love and I'm middle. Yes, sir. Woman. All right, second and last choice: Sound of Metal. Mm-hmm. Love it. Love it as well. Hard part here is like Minari. I think there's enough themes and. I think there's enough themes and issues and topics and, and connection possible in this movie. I just wish more people would see it. It where where this is another little engine that could, because the father has Anthony Hopkins, Judas and the black Messiah has the backing of HBO max. Mank had all the Netflix pub in the whole wide world trial. The Chicago seven coming up next on our list has all the Netflix pub in the world. No man land has Francis McDormand promising a woman has, Probably is also there with Minari and Sound of Metal is not having a big name thing, but enough of an edge where you just hope an audience can find it. And I wish I I'm, I love that Sound of Metal has made this field. I hate to say the cliche thing that the honor is just being there for a movie like that because sure. it, it does not have a chance. But in any other year, this is also a movie that wouldn't get this chance. Uh, like yep. an example for me in previous years, like this feels like Room, you know, where it's a little movie mm-hmm. that isn't a you know, monster Oscar look at me thing. I know Brie Larson won and I would love Riz Ahmed winning. And I know he won't, but that's all right. And yeah, yeah I guess it's hard when you, you know, when you're up against a posthumous legend or soon to be legend. 
And so any yep. other year, ResMed walks away with this award as a, as a fantastic representation of everything good about little movies, the way Brie Larson won for everything good about little movies with room. And because the tangible, the, the tangible hits and sorrow that this movie has is so good. And the same thing with Paul Racy. In the end of the year, Paul Racy wins. But he's going to lose to, again, a very worthy Daniel Kaluuya in, in a bigger film, in a, in a bigger place. This is another little engine that could move that just I wish more people would see. I wish the Oscars didn't have nine nominees and had five where this had a better chance. Maybe it wouldn't make a field without having nine. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it as well. Um, I think it's a great film. Um gonna win all the sound stuff mm-hmm. so no worries it's gonna come home with something yeah it, it maybe um, might even sneak editing maybe maybe yeah maybe i don't know about that but mm-hmm. um the performances are great it's it reminds me of kind of like those films i think the film is good i, I what i love about it is the performances and of course. the sound design that's what makes it love for me mm-hmm. i don't think it's like the greatest film like no story-wise. no no like this probably has no business being in the best picture field but yeah. i'm glad it's there this is a classic example of a film that is buoyed by its performances mm-hmm. and, and pushes it into a different stratosphere. Um, yeah, I love it. Uh, I don't think we need to say much more about that. No, no, no. <laughs> Last but not least, huh? The Trial of the Chicago 7. Yeah. I'm a love on this. I, I gave a big five-star review. I think it's a big it's – that, it's, it's that big ensemble Oscar I, – I, I don't like the term, and I don't want to use it, but I'm going to say it – it is an Oscar bait movie, but there are times when an Oscar bait movie is good because it's just good. And Aaron Sorkin can still write. He's learning to direct. It's not the sharpest thing in the world where if this was done by Fincher or done by other people he's worked with, where it'd be more solid. But this feels like the kind of movie that earns these kinds of spots where the same thing. If this was out in theaters, this would be your crowd pleasing crowd-pleasing big everyone would see it movie like of all the nine movies here i have to think this is the one most people have seen because it Mm -hmm. has enough big names it has that big netflix backing it's been out since october and it has that that the call you know the callbacks of old history that can come on to today's history with enough playfulness to where there's seriousness in the movie for sure but enough lightness to kind of touch off touch all the bases and get all the audiences you want like a casual fan can watch that and be moved a serious fan can watch it and be entertained where it's got enough of everything but we've seen oscars lately go away from those movies where i think this this nomination here while to me deserving feels almost ceremonial because you have to have the big ensemble piece in here to be because it is you know on just by resume alone and pedigree alone is one of the best movies of last year. Does the five bloods do the same thing with different contexts and different history and just as good of a big ensemble cast? Yeah, probably, but it was Netflix's big hitter and it is that exact spot that they've bought to be here. This might be the only hate of the thing. Um, Unlike, uh, unlike once upon a time in Hollywood, which we talked about on our first episode, Mm -hmm where I said that that film gets better to me every time I think about it. Yeah. This movie, <laughs> Trial of Chicago 7, gets worse to me All when right. I think about it. I actually think it is actors playing dress-up in way too... Um, it's too clean. It's too antiseptic. Mm-hmm. Um, the performances are too broad. It feels like pantomime of characters that should be well-written. 
I think it's a script that's obsessed with itself. That's I true. Think, I think that, especially when you have Judas and the Black Messiah in the same category, very true. In which in which you are completely integrated into Judas and the Black Messiah's mm-hmm. time period, it feels like it's paying lip service to cliff notes of history. That's true. And as a guy who did my research into the actual court case itself, there's the volume of that case is so enormous because it went on so long that mm-hmm. you you were only going ever going to get a cliff notes version of it to fit in a two hour and change movie. And what I can compliment is if you have to go through clip notes and you have to truncate where you have to truncate, I felt like they truncated with a good cast and a good job, but I can see what you mean where it is the showiest thing that when you're watching it, you know, you're watching a movie for sure. And, and I saw it first and that's why I, I, said I liked that. it at first. I yeah. liked it at first, but then because Judas and the black Messiah is tangentially related. Very much. So. You, could, of the you could play one movie before the other and it would fit, you know? Well, yeah. Cause there's the, the character I, I can't remember. Is it, it's not what's it's the, Fred what's Hampton. Black Panther. No, well, Fred Hampton. No, it's not Fred Hampton. Trial of the Chicago 7. Oh, Bobby it's another Seal? black Bobby Seal. Yeah. They even mention the gagging him in court. Mm-hmm. They mention that in Judas and the Black Messiah. Well, and, the, and and Fred Hampton is in Trial of the Chicago 7, played by Kelvin Harrison Jr. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah so yeah. so there you is can a layer little these bit two of, together. Yeah, you can and that's the problem. Is when I put these two apples together. And oranges. Totally. I, I see. Like I said, I see like a high school production of a history play, and then I see Judas and the Black Messiah with which, whether it fully meets its expectations, like you said, makes its point right. It, it's you're just so integrated in that world, like you can't help but feel Mm -hmm. that you are part of that movement. Like, even if everything's not clear, you know where Fred Hampton stands, you know where the Black Panthers stand, you know where the police stand. There is a tension, a built-in tension. I n- I didn't feel any drama or tension at all with Charlie. I got you. So those are the nominees. Are there other films that were nominated that kind of that stand out or, or pop for you, like things that maybe weren't nominated for Best Picture, but you kind of want to put a little shine and favor to? Um, I think that One Night in Miami got severely robbed. I, I agree. Think they, I think they nominated the wrong actor uh, mm-hmm. for supporting. Leslie Odom's great. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but to me, he's probably the least compelling of the four major characters. I agree. Um, the gentleman uh, who uh, Bensley, uh, uh, ben, uh, Kingsley Benadir, who plays Malcolm X, is oh, the, is the actor so of that movie good. to me. He was so good. Yeah. I just I wanted him to get nominated. Me too. He's just so good. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think. I'll um, throw one I in think, there to kind of tag yeah. in. In terms of best singular performance in a movie that probably wouldn't have a shot anywhere else, I thought Vanessa Kirby in Pieces of a Woman was incredible. Tough year because, I mean, Mulligan, of course, has this big flashy role. McDormand is who she is. Viola Davis is who she is. And then, of course, the Billie Holiday movie, which snuck into the end, has a great performance of Andrew Day. But in a different year, Vanessa Kirby blows some people away. Oh, sure. Um, I think, uh, not that I think it deserves it. I, I think it's overblown as Borat. I think Borat was fine. Yeah. I, I didn't think it was great. But um, it's up there. Isn't it up there? It's, it's up there for screenplay, which I, that's a cocktail. There's like, I'm reading the nomination list. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine listed screenplay credits and one, two, three, four, four story credits. And then based on characters by Baron Cohen, it's, it's a cocktail napkin of a movie, you know, collection of ideas where yeah. I can't call that a script ever. Yep. 
Yeah. Yep, I'm agree with you there. Um, I, you know, I, I didn't think that the film was particularly great, but I think the five bloods, I mean, if you can have the category be 10 nominees, just mm. throw the five bloods because yeah, like I said, like you can say with black Panther, whether it fully gets its point across, mm. whether it is truly quote unquote, the best picture in terms of having all the pieces together. Yeah. The Five Bloods is a, a movie we need. Today. I agree. So I, I think that should be in there. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, I think it's the a problem solid with flip. that, it's good. I think that it doesn't get out of its stage trappings. Right. So I don't think it's worthy of a best picture. No, no. But I think it should be raking art and technical, or at least the art stuff. Sure. Like, yeah, no, absolutely. Costumes and makeup, it should be winning. I don't know if it will, but it should. But I got to say, this is a tough... I mean, I'm trying to find inspiration from other nominees, and I there's don't. just really nothing to find. I, I mean, yeah, like Soul Soul's a nice Pixar movie, but again, when you only see it on Disney Plus, you don't see it in the theaters. It, it, there's not a big enough audience to wrap its arms around it. Fine little film. It's gonna. It's probably gonna get forgotten in years since because not enough people will see it. It's gonna win a couple of. It's gonna win score at least, and probably its usual animated spot. But yeah, I don't know. Um, there's some little nominees here, little nominees. They're like News of the World, you know, Paul Greengrass's Western with Tom Hanks. That's a nice little movie. I don't think it's one of the best pictures of the year, but nice to see it for production design. Nice to see it for cinematography. Uh, same thing with Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. The period looks of the movie are fantastic. Um, I like Mulan up there for best costume design. Visual effects in a year where you don't have a lot of big screen, big movies. It's You're kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel when after Tenant, it's just like Mulan. And then, mm. you know, one and only Ivan with your animatronic or with your CGI animals. I liked The Midnight Sky by George Clooney, but I seem to be the only person that did. <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a year where there's... Again, I'll go back to where I started and as the place where I end. Because it's such a long, drawn-out year of thin things that are, yes, worthy to, worthy to honor, but do we need to honor them this long and with, and with this much prognostication mm-hmm. and lead-up where I bet I'm not even watching the show Sunday night. And that would be a first for a long time. Like I kinda, yeah, definitely. I'm not invested and I don't care. I don't want to see these people on Zoom pretend to thank each other. I don't want to see Zoom jokes and bits. I and there's not a lot of movies I'm really rooting for. Uh, I'll pay it. I'll keep an ear on it. Maybe I'll throw Twitter on, but I won't watch. Yeah, I have three films that I think. I'm looking at my 2020 list. Three films that I think deserved either more or something. Okay. Um, the first one is another round. I think that um, it's got. I know it got best director. Yeah, it's a high that. spot for a foreign film to win. Yeah, or to get a, a knock on the door with. Right. I do think it deserves, if there's two open spots, I think the five bloods and another round deserve to be best picture as there well. I think they're both brilliant films. Um, foreign film. I think there was this film from Taiwan called a Sun, Okay. Uh, which um, not a lot of people talk about. And Netflix, I think I read an article that Netflix didn't even know that they had it. Oh boy. Um, but it was, it was a gigantic hit in Taiwan. Like it won all the Taiwan Oscars. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful film, epic family drama, crime drama in Taiwan, uh, fantastic film. I should have at least got, it was on the short list for best, uh, foreign film, mm-hmm. uh, but did not make the cut, but I think it came out in January of 2020. So it's just too long, you know, for it to make any headway, you know? Yeah. And my last one is, I think it should have got some love because of its, uh, the public consciousness. 
it was kind of the last big hit before the pandemic. It had some technical achievements. It has some meaning for a lot of people. Is the Invisible Man okay? Should have got um, visual think, effects. I don't think it's the greatest film. Yeah, don't get me wrong. But this is—I'm not saying it should be best picture, but mm-hmm. I, I am saying that it should have got recognized for at least a couple of things. Um, I think the screenplay is actually excellent. I agree with um, you there. And if that if that replaces your adapted screenplay Borat spot, be my guest. Yeah, I, I would have no problem with the Invisible Man being nominated because I think that it's timely, mm-hmm. prescient. It's it's there's a lot of text and a lot of subtext, and mm-hmm. I, I like that a lot of the script. I don't think the movie is particularly directed well or paced well. Yeah, um, but the technical stuff is great, and the performance. I mean, every year there's a horror performance. Yes, there that is. gets left out oh, in the cold. Lupita Nyong'o. Lupita Nyong'o last year. You had Tony Collette the year before that. Mm-hmm. And I tell you what, Elizabeth Moss is so fucking good in The Invisible Man. I mean, she's great anyway. Yeah. And I'm waiting for her to get that. that even if it's just. Part. But she had just, she had that her smell like she's coming on the last few years where she yeah. should. It's coming something. So, she's going to land on the right thing that gets noticed big enough. Even if it's just a throwaway nomination, like I remember they gave, um, they had to give, um, what's his name uh, from Breaking Bad? Oh, Brian um, Cranston. Brian Cranston. They had to give him a nomination because he was just so big. They mm. gave him a nomination for Trumbo. I'm sure Trumbo is fine. I haven't seen it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does anyone remember that performance of that movie? No. Right. They had to give him one because it was like he's the biggest TV star on the planet and he's making films. So right. I was hoping this would be the one for her. I think it came out way too early. Yes, it did. Um, it's too genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't like horror there. No, they sure don't. Um, I mean, it's a shame because there's there's legit horror screenplays, like you said, and the technical technical aspects that should be there. And they all don't have to be done by Jordan Peele to get <laughs> Oscar attention. They, they come from other sources. Oh, exactly. I'm not a huge Ari Aster fan. Ari yeah, Aster. Ari Aster. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has a huge effect on people. And yeah. his films look great. And I think that um, at the very least, Tony Collette should have got a nomination for Hereditary. But because it's a quote unquote horror film, um, I was talking about this with a friend the other day. I think, I think in in Best Picture history, I think maybe one fantasy film is one. That would be Lord of the Rings: Return of the King. Mm-hmm. Um, hard pressed to find a sci-fi film that won. Yeah, um, very hard pressed. Horror. And people don't even want to call it horror, but I hate to tell you, it's a horror film. Is Silence of the Lambs? That's um, true. That's a horror film. I mean, The Exorcist got close. Sure did. But I mean, you had Get Out, The Exorcist, Silence of the Lambs. I those are the only ones I can think of off the top of my head that were horror films nominated for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. How many comedies? Sometimes. Yeah. You, again, the right comedy that hits with a big enough, wide enough audience is there. Sometimes, you know, like. I could think of like, but when we talk about comedies, we're talking more like quote unquote hi- higher end, like yeah. like the full Monty. Sure, you know, like a- as good as it gets, <laughs> you know. Yes, exactly. Yeah, like it's you, you prestige don't find any comedy. Prestige comedies. You don't find any kind of. Like, you don't find Palm Springs, which I heard. I haven't seen it, but oh, I've heard it's excellent. You you'll love it. Yeah, that should so have a screenplay nomination too. That should, if anything, um, another film too. It would have no shot in hell to ever get an Oscar nomination ever, but it's just so brilliantly crafted. Is Possessor? Have mm. you seen Possessor? I have not. Okay, I hear it's good Brandon, things. It's Brandon Cronenberg, David Cronenberg's son. 
Um, beautiful film craft-wise. Not the greatest film screenplay-wise. It's not a Best Picture nominee. It's a little overly gory. But if the Oscars had any balls, man, they would just give stuff like this. Like, yeah, they would just give stuff like that a chance to, to have something. Mm-hmm. Um, when was... Um, when did Vast of Night come out? Was that this year? Yeah, or? and the Vast of Night was this past year, and that is a micro-budgeted film that I loved. It was my number two of the year, or yeah, at least number two. And was it 2020 though? It was, was 2020. 2019. I okay. might have done like a festival cup of coffee in 2019, but it it got its release in 2020. That is, I mean, we're talking brilliant about little movie, a great little movie with fantastic craftsmanship. Very much. Um, so. Great script, great dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, camera work. Oh, camera awesome. work is great. The story behind it, maybe we'll do an episode on it someday, but the mm-hmm. story behind it is great because like the guy who directed it, like he, he used to like do videos for like the Oklahoma City Thunder. Okay. Like he was just like a uh like a, a video, you know, putting music videos together for sure. arenas. And he just came out and directed this nineteen fifties Twilight Zone thing. It's, it's amazing. It is amazing. So that's another one that if the Oscars had any balls at all would give something to, but alas, we're yep. kind of stuck with the Chicago's trial of the Chicago seven. Yeah. Well, that's a good recap of the Oscars for the weekend. Let's see how that, that ended up being a super long episode, guys. We're really sorry. We try to keep these pretty tight, but I think that you'll enjoy our discussion. Um, I think that we have a lot of interesting things to say about the Oscars. I think we talked about the Oscars longer than Mortal Kombat. We sure did. So, all right. So we just got done talking about the Oscars. We, the biggest crime the Oscars ever made was not nominating Samantha Robinson for The Love Witch. I think we can all agree with that. Speaking of cinephile hissy fits and how to reach us, follow us on Twitter at cinephile fits and on Facebook at cinephile hissy fits podcast. Also find us both on Letterboxd. We post a lot of reviews there. We keep our diaries there. You can find out everything that we're watching. Uh, I've got some interesting lists on there that I've been building. I've been trying to watch a lot of women filmmakers this year. Um, so exploring that. So uh, follow along with us. Uh, we've posted a poll, I think, matching this episode for you listeners to weigh in on. Well, wait a minute. There would be no poll for this episode. Would nah, there? You, I'll tell you what. We want to hear your Oscar picks versus our Oscar picks. So yeah, that, that didn't look like I was reading a script at all. Anyways, no, thank you so much know. for your captive audience and social media participation. Um, like I emphasized to you, you know who's going to be tweeting you um, when you get a broken link or uh, an image that says 404 can't be found. That will be Don in control of the cinephile fits. Correct. And any, anytime you see me hounding Samantha Robinson or Anna Biller's Twitter feed, uh, or posting images from Falcon and the Winter Soldier, you know that I'm in charge at that point. Also correct. <laughs> Cinephile Hissy Fits is a 25 Years Later media podcast brought to you by RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. Please visit, rate, review, and subscribe. We currently have one review on our iTunes. Uh, oh. it, is a gl- it is a glowing review, right. but we would like some more if possible. So please right. get on there because... 199 think- to go. Yeah, if we get 199 more, I think we get to be on Rotten Tomatoes. There's right. a possibility as such. It's very possible that if we reach that high number, um, we would get that. So please try that. Uh, if you enjoyed this show, and I know you did, um, we have more where that came from. We're going to have interesting hosts in the future uh, and wonderful guests. And I say interesting hosts in the future because I was confusing hosts with guests. We will have the same interesting hosts. And we will have hopefully great guests in the future. 
all available on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you find your favorite shows. And uh, you know what? Uh, No Oscar pool for me this year, but um, I will catch you on the other side when these uh, pretty uh, flaccid Oscar show is over. This pretty flaccid Oscar show is over. say go ahead you just count to three. <laughs> oh, i can go <laughs> i said go on three Riggs, murtaugh uh, um he'll okay. read anything in the teleprompter come on ron burgundy all right fuck you san diego all right um what's up gang this is Hoptimus. you've been listening to one of the great new podcasts from ruminations radio network if you want some more tasty sound vibes come check out my new podcast the retro futurist culture where we talk about alternate timelines cyberpunk anime and other crazy worlds if that does not strike your fancy we have plenty of other great shows at ruminationsradionetwork.com